Hello and welcome to Write Sweats, the writing podcast for fan fiction, friend fiction, and fun fiction. I'm Jen, and I'm joined today, as always, by my trusty co-hosties, Jesse and Leah. Hey! Insert actual air horn sound. <laughs> hey, so you guys, um, last week you guys talked about your holiday books, and I kind of wanted to start off right there. Um, tell us about the book exchange y'all have been doing. Yeah, so uh, for Hanukkah this year, instead of giving eight presents, we gave eight different books we found. Um for each other. And then with the stipulation that they were also had to be uh, thrift store books or used or somehow discounted whatever we weren't spending, you know, $14 a night or anything like that. Right. So my family is Jewish and Hanukkah is a big part of how I grew up. And when you get together with someone who celebrates Christmas, it becomes a, a very expensive month. If you try to celebrate both holidays as you did as children. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so this was kind of a way to really keep with the spirit of the season and kind of put our own little twist on it. So each night we gave book or books that were, mm-hmm. you know, found in some way or at a very deep discount. And I think we, given that we've never really bought books for each other, there was a little bit of guessing to it. We didn't give each other wish lists. There was no oh, I'd really like it if you bought me this or any sort of other guidelines to it. It was just sort of a free-for-all. And especially when you're looking at a thrift store or we spent a lot of time at the Escondido Friends of the Library bookstore, you don't really have a great selection. You have what's there and you kind of have to make the most of it. Well, and that was a bit of the hard part too. We had, on top of the thrift store constriction, we had the constriction where we had to take it seriously. We couldn't just get things we thought were funny. Oh yeah, I like that. Or goofy or anything like that. Because when you're shopping at a thrift store, you can just get, here's eight Harlequin novels, end of shopping. You know? mm-hmm. Or in our case, you can go to Grand Avenue and go to the used bookstore that sells almost exclusively Harlequin novels. Exclusively. It's a pretty... Yeah, give us some of those. <laughs> yeah, of it's way. an amazing, amazing You'd place. like it, Jen. It's split up by, by genre. So it's not... So under the whole romance um, umbrella, there's like... Cowboys. Cowboys. Uh, Regency is a big section. Yep. Oh, yeah, that's a really popular one, I think. So it's it's like, it's really, really detailed and really organized. But we couldn't do that this time. So, yeah. So we'll start with what some of the books that we got each other. And then there are a few books that were actually given to us by the other gems. Um, two of our friends that we do family dinner with every Thursday night since Hanukkah fell during that. They pitched in and got us some fun used books as well. And those were absolutely bananas. Um, so one of the first ones that Jesse got me was Neuromancer by William Gibson, which I have never read. Um, oh, but I've heard good things about that one. I've heard so it? much about it. I've read it. It always comes up in every article about futurism or article about post-humanity or article about dystopian sci-fi. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And it really was the framework for the movie, the Matrix movies, which... I absolutely adore. I don't even think Jesse understands how much I've watched and how much I love those movies, all three of them, even to the end, even the animated one. Um, So I'm I'm so excited to finally get to read this. And he actually found a really nice copy of it without a lot of like tears in it or other people's notes. A lot of the stuff we got ended up with a lot of weird notes. What are your matrix rankings? What are my matrix rankings? 
Um, by movies I like or movies that are fun to watch? <laughs> no, I just mean compared to themselves. Oh, I probably like The Animatrix, The Matrix. Animatrix Ma- 1? Yeah. That's nuts, but okay. It is, but at the same time, like, it holds up a lot better than The Matrix. Have you seen it lately? It holds up a lot better than The Matrix because it's it does. animated. Some of it does, yeah. It's a little more cohesive. Actually, that's, that's, a little, that's fair because there are, you, when you watch Matrix now, you're kind of like, well, technology's a little different these days. <laughs> but what if you were to split up the six Animatrix movies? Oh. We'll talk about that some other time when you have time to think about yeah, it. Yeah, that's a hard one to do on the fly. It's and easy then, when there's, you know, six things to pick from. And then two and then three. I Three is a better movie, but two is just bananas. I had never seen three, and now I go one, three, two. I thought that was pretty solid. I, I don't mind three, but there is something about two, and it's just sheer, like, we're not even going to hold back. This is just a spectacle. Enjoy the spectacle that I absolutely love. There's the ghosts and the sex pie. and Mm-hmm. So my first book that I got for the first night of Hanukkah was Donna Haraway's Staying with the Trouble. And that is not a fiction text. That's a critical theory text. Uh, Donna Haraway talks a lot about, back in the day she talked a lot about cyborgs and cyborg theory and post-humanity. And now she kind of talks about, um, I haven't read the book yet, but I think she talks about more like humans and nature and those relationships uh, and where they cross paths or, merge or you know human animal relationships and that sort of that sort of intersection a little bit and her cyborg theory was one of the books that when jesse and i started dating it was always on the top of the book piles in his apartment it was always really close to wherever he was working or wherever he was reading um because it was such a big part of what he enjoyed kind Mm -hmm. of referencing in his writing so it was really exciting to find something a little more up to date from her i think this one Mm -hmm. was from 2012 yeah so that's why I went for that one. That is super cool. I love that. I love that idea. So one of the next ones I got was called The Merciless by Danielle Vega. And it sort of looks like a YA, but from what I was told, it does get pretty dark and gory. And it goes a lot into those kind of like witchy, occulty things that were inspiring me during Nano. So it's a real, I'm so excited to read it. One of the gens said she read it on the, on a plane ride and got hooked and read the rest of the series after that. So I'm excited to finally get into another series, especially one with, you know, a pink hardbound cover with an upside down pentagram on it. So (laughs) if that That doesn't scream my aesthetic, I don't know what does. (laughs) Jen, have you read those? No, I haven't. I, I actually haven't heard of those. I'm surprised because that's kind of my wheelhouse. So. I hadn't heard of it, but I guess it's popular. It's the first of six or something like that. Well, and since this is a whole used and thrifty theme, when I'm done with it, Jen, I will mail it to you. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. That can be my Christmas gift from Hanukkah. Hooray! (laughs) The second one I got is Leah got me a version of A Streetcar Named Desire that was with an introduction by Arthur Miller. Um, I've seen the play a few times. Never really read it, so I'm looking forward to seeing what it's like reading it, but just also getting Arthur Miller's introduction. I usually don't like introductions. I usually make a point to skip them when I read a book. Or if I know I'm going to be tempted, I will tear them out. Which is a very scary thing to watch happen. Because if it's like a used cheap book, and I don't, because I don't, I think, especially when the introduction's by the author, and it's like, oh, here's me reflecting on the book when I wrote it 10 years ago, what it means now. I don't want that. 
I want I want to read it, and then I'll go back and look at that. The introduction should be after the fact. Like the, the author notes at the end or something. Yeah, because it changes then everything that you then look at in the book. And I want to, yeah, and authors have a tendency to over-contextualize sometimes, and they don't let me figure it out. And so I'm excited to see this, because it's written by somebody else, and it's something I've already read. So That sounds rad. So then the next book that Jen I... Jen has read this, by the way. Oh, ooh, now I'm even more excited. So then the next book Jesse got me was uh, Will Grayson, Will Grayson by John Green and David Levithan. Oh! So I've never read a John Green book. Yeah, I did read But that. I feel like with what we're doing with this writing and nano and everything we're getting into, it's probably about time. So what, it, what was your take on it? You might as well know what green is like. Um, I read that as a college assignment. Uh, I had actually like, you know, vowed to never read any books that he had written. I was like a real shitty kid and anti John green. I'm not that way anymore. Actually. I, I got over that a phase of, you know, I don't like the hating videos him. still his, his YouTube where he's teaching people lessons. I like some of his videos. I thought they were pretty good. Um, I haven't watched enough of them to have an opinion on the whole channel. But anyway, um, yeah, when I read that book, I remember not knowing who had written which section when I read it. And I liked that because then I could judge him without judging him knowing it's him. And it ended up in the end. I, I feel I don't want to sway your opinion, Leah. You may love it. But in the end, the portion of that book that I thought was the weakest and the worst was the part that he wrote. And that's fair. I'm not looking for an excuse to mm-hmm. like an author, but at this point, he's so much a part of writing and writing culture. You can't avoid oh, it. Oh, he is. Yeah. Oh, I think, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. And if you had told me, cause we saw love Simon this year and we liked it a lot. If you had told me love Simon was based on Will Grayson, Will Grayson, I would have believed you, but now I know love Simon's based on its own book, but love Simon's kind of similar to just this sort of suburban gay story. That's kind of small. There's not a lot of like, redeeming society stories and anything like that. It's just kind of like nice people have a struggle and then they get nice things to happen to them, you know? So it's, it's one of those same stories where it's like, not everything has to be challenging. You know, they can just be kind of nice and fun to read and, you know, interesting. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Actually, um, as far as John Green goes, there's a book he recently wrote turtles all the way down Mm -hmm. that discusses obsessive compulsive disorder. And I really, really, really want to read it because I watched a video where he discussed why he wrote it, his feelings about it. The dude himself has obsessive compulsive disorder. That makes sense. And he uh, explored the real like mental struggles of that in the book. And I just felt like that's going to be his most authentic self in that book, like his most authentic voice. I don't know for sure. I can't, I've never, I haven't read all his books, so I can't say that, but it just makes me, want to read it so bad speaking of that that was uh we read that for uh dr nicola hobble's young adult literature class right yeah that's what i yeah that was my college assignment that i meant was nicola's class yeah she was one of the coolest professors i've ever met in my life that was so. very good i Props still to her if you ever listen to this i still think about stuff like i'll watch a movie or read something and i'll be like oh this should be in that class so i'll i'll bring it up and i'm like i'm not yeah I'm not gonna i still i still think about that textbook she assigned which i Oddly, can't remember the name of it. Oh, uh, Act Your Age. Yes, Act Your Age. Yeah. Highly recommend that textbook, which is weird to say I recommend a textbook, <laughs> but I do. It, it, it's a textbook, but it also is this, this the writer, Lesko. Remember, that was her last name. I don't remember her first name. She did a Foucauldian archaeological re, uh, examination of where adolescence comes from. Because mm-hmm. adolescence doesn't really... Yeah. Teenagers have only existed for 50 years, but 
adolescence have been a thing for not much longer, but a little bit longer. And so she explored, yeah, how that became part of our culture and how that affects how we interpret literature. Oh, it was just so great. It was so good. It was good. Well, we just watched eighth grade and I feel like that was one of those things like that probably should be taught in that class now or. Yeah, it was super, super interesting to, to pull that focus onto what teen culture looks like now. I thought that in a lot of ways it would feel foreign because mm-hmm. we didn't grow up with YouTube and blogs and a lot of that like high technology stuff that's around now, even though we were a generation that grew up around computers. But it's still incredibly relatable and it, it felt so raw and emotional. I keep thinking about that yeah. scene in, towards the beginning where Elsie Fisher gets on the internet and it's an actual like scene with momentum that's just a teenage girl flipping through Instagram. And I'm like, how did you do that? Like... Showing somebody on the internet is really hard to do. And then showing like an eighth graders do the same stuff we do on the internet every day is really hard to do. And someone that movie like pulled it off as something kind of engaging and there was a point to it. Yeah. And even at some point she cracks the screen on her phone, even showing the cracked screen it you get what's going on. Oh, she cut her finger on it too. And I knew that's what she was going to (laughs) do. So the other book I got was uh, the man in his work. That is a, Biography of Bertold Brecht by Martin Eslin. This was such a good find. It's a pretty book. It's a hardcover with like a cloth cover. It's ancient. All the pages are smelly and brown. I'm going to read all of it. The cat's going to love it because cats seem to love the smelly books. Um, but it seems to just go through Brecht's life from beginning to end. So I think that's going to be really interesting because it also doesn't Nothing. doesn't seem to get too like critical. So it'll be like a fun a fun, quick little read about somebody I like. So then, of course, we had to get a little silly because there are such insane things at the uh, at thrift stores. And this one was a twofer. This one had the one night had a book called Virtually Criminal and a book called Burning Embers, a Cat World Tale. And both of these are self-published books. Self-published. And I had to hold myself back. I think the library was full of self-published. This just seemed like the two most, like, uh, what's a nice way to put this? The two most, like, unique ones? Yeah. Well, unlikely to be picked up by a major publisher. Right. That's how we put it. I mean, hopefully. So so one is about... It doesn't mean they'll be bad, y'all. It doesn't mean they'll be bad. They might look weird, but I'm just saying. They could be... I did my, could be I did my research, completely too. Surprised. I flipped through a few pages. I took... Oh, okay. Okay, never mind. Never mind then. <laughs> One is about a virtual reality video game in which everyone is still referred to by their uh, their character name or screen name. And then mm-hmm. the cat one is actually about a world of cats. They're not cat people. They're just cats. And probably the most heartbreaking thing of the whole book so far is the inscription on the back, which reads, copy 42, 8, 19, 13. Happy birthday, Grandpa. Here's a copy of my book. I hope you like it. Love the author. It's the author's like real name. Aww. So yeah, Grandpa just, I don't know. I guess that's one of those things, I guess, best case scenario, Grandpa died and then got rid of it. You know, like. Instead of just saying, I don't want your dumb book yeah. and like yeah. give it away. <laughs> but it is a little funnier to, to think of it that way. And I believe on that same night, kind of as more of a serious thing, um, he Jen's got read this too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he got me The Magic Toy Shop by Angela Carter. Oh, yeah. 
I have read that. Well, I was thinking a couple weeks ago when we were talking about, Leah was talking about her story, her nano story, and there was like a woman in history that like killed a bunch of people. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of how that book is, that novel is full of allusions to everything. Kind of any line is an allusion to something. Yeah, that one was like a lot of like mindfuckery for me because of the amount of like allusions. It was a lot. The, one of the main allusions is Blackbeard. And I feel like what you were talking about kind of probably influenced Blackbeard. Later. Mm-hmm. Because, right, because Blackbeard, isn't he, like, he cuts up women and keeps them inside of the walls of his house? Bluebeard. Bluebeard, sorry, Bluebeard. Yeah. 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 What the fuck? And the nice thing about this, and the fun thing about a book like that with a thrift store, is there aren't a lot of notes, but there are passages and things that are highlighted and things that are already kind of written on. So it gives you kind of a nice guide as you're going through it. Well, I still have my notes from our undergrad and my own version, too, so we can compare we can compare notes. Yeah, I probably have my version somewhere around here with my college notes. I actually love picking up books with other people's writing in them. It's just so interesting to, it's almost like getting a second story while you're reading your story. Yeah. It's like someone else's journey through the book. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Right. And people react so differently. So you can go through mm-hmm. and read a passage and they'll highlight, you know, a certain phrase that you'll find to be completely irrelevant or nonsense, but it was what spoke to them at the time. Well, and a lot of times yeah, books, I love that. I'll see people that will make like a claim on the corner and I'll I'll have to then say no to it, write my own notes in there. Or, you have to respond. Yeah. I actually like that when people respond to others' notes. And I've only ever seen that in used college books, but I would love to see that in like just a fiction book I pick up somewhere one day. What book was I reading a few weeks ago, a few months ago? I feel like it was like maybe like a classic of some sort or something like that. But somebody kept, there was a female protagonist and... Oh, I read The Ice Storm. That's right. And there's like a female protagonist and she cheats on her husband, but it's not she doesn't really cheat on her husband. She they 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 go to a key party uh and she goes home with somebody else and they they spend the whole book trying to explain how sympathetic this character is. It takes place in like the 60s, so she's like a Betty Draper sort of housewife. So her life is just terrible, you know. And every time that like she like the housewife goes like Oh, I guess that guy's kind of sexy. Somebody would circle it and write slut in the margins. What the like, holy shit? Like this whole book is explaining so how like weird sex is, and especially in domestic relationships, and especially in the 60s. And the person just was not getting it the entire time and just kept marking every time they were a slut in it. It was so good because everybody in that book is doing the same thing she is. Like there's no difference. You know? Except a lot of people in that story are actually acting on it. Yeah, all, all the husbands and all the wives are doing the same thing. There's no difference between her and anybody else. But well, and there's also no shame in recognizing someone who's no, hot. Like, yeah, it's like it's literally what you do with that thought that matters. No, but if you're going to call out that, have that thought and then immediately forget, like, well, that's the point of the book is like domestic infidelity. So if you're going to be bothered the entire time, don't be read bothered the book. by the whole book. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to have a problem, have a problem with the whole thing. This one character is not doing anything yeah. that is out of the ordinary. It was weird, though. I guess I also just take issue with the idea of someone being a slut or being attracted to people. Well, like, yeah, I could go on forever about yeah, that, though. Yeah, I agree with yeah. you. But beyond that, too, like, that's also not a note you should be making making in a book. Like, what note? What does that help you? What does yeah, it help you Yeah, seriously, understand? that's just, like, you taking your rage out on that book. Like, that's stupid. Like, that's not even a... Yeah, what level analysis useful, is that? You're not, like... Co- yeah, exactly. You're not, like, collecting, a like, a theory about what the author is conveying. You're just, like, mad at this character. That's so ridiculous. Well, yeah, there's a wondered, way to do that, too. And that's I was saying, if you so. ever wondered what that person class that just kind of shows up and phones it in, makes notes of in their book, 
It's probably that. I think that constantly when I see <laughs> just one or two notes, I'm like, what were you doing? I make too many notes. So uh, <laughs> the other book I got, which sounds like a joke, but it really isn't, is uh, Jimmy Buffett's uh, A Salty Piece of Land. Um, which is a little bit of a joke, but a little bit not of a joke. I'll read it and I'll enjoy it. You know. Tell me what that's about. You know Jimmy Buffett? How far do we got to start at the beginning? I know that name, but I don't know why I know that name. Okay, so Jimmy Buffett is a, he's Yacht Rock. No, he's yeah, not. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Okay, so he's a yacht he's rocker. Rock guy, yeah. Um, who sings such classic songs as Margaritaville. And oh, I she's know this. I know in Paradise. I got it. I got it. I got it. I know who this is. Has a I'm chain good. of restaurants called Margaritaville. And he's the most sort of yeah, yeah. interesting figure in pop culture. Like, it's really easy to fall down, like, his hole of just his businesses and what he's done and he there's a there was a New Yorker or New York Times uh, piece on him putting together his musical his jukebox musical he made last year and there's just all these really weird things about him and he's really like business savvy but just at selling to like middle America because he's really sold he's the guy who did the he's the guy who did the song that's like I hate math right yeah he did math sucks yes oh math sucks that's right wow yeah that's a deep cut And he's really sold this fantasy to like his hardcore fans of what, like who are called what they're called parrot heads parrot heads and they yeah. they tailgate like there's no tomorrow with their plastic flamingos and palm trees and well and then at the palm fronts but he sold this fantasy of like the relaxed beach life that's what I'm saying at the at the core of it the whole philosophy of Jimmy Buffett is like hey man. Just be chill and we can have like a beer on the beach. You know, it's not like it's not like going to like the jag- gag- gathering of the juggalos where it's like, what's the point of this? Like, we're mad at stuff. Where I'm like, well, no thanks, guys. <laughs> you know, like it's it's dumb and it's weird, but like at the bottom of it, it's like harmless, you know. Yeah. But he's also written a bunch of books and uh, they're about a fictionalized version of himself called Tully Mars. And so this is a collection of Tully Mars stories. And it looked absolutely bananas. It's it, it's in my parents' um, library. My mom really liked them a lot, so so I'll just keep it going. I'll read it. Yeah, keep that island life living. I love it. Yeah, it's. I mean, I don't like it. I, <laughs> it's one of those things that's just. It's the longer you stare at it, the the more it gets interesting. Yeah. We, well, maybe you'll end up a big old parrot head at the end of it. I keep making people go to Margaritaville's with me, and if you're not quite like doing it at arm's length. Like I am where one arm is at arm's length, the other arm is pulling it in close, you know, then it doesn't quite make sense why you were at Margaritaville where the food is terrible and it costs $25 for a burger. And there's stilt walkers <laughs> making balloon animals. Waitresses on stilts making balloon animals, a live band. A live you know? steel drum band. It's great. Not just a regular you know? band. And we're in like Universal City or we're like some dumb hotel in the middle of nowhere, you know. It's absolutely insane should be a good read <laughs> so the next one he that one sounds fun. the next mm-hmm. one he got me was called quicksand by Junichiro tanizaki which i'm only starring because they wrote it vertically on here and it's a this is going to come from the back of the book from one of the greatest writers of the 20th century of 20th century japan comes a silky nuanced novel of erotic gamesmanship and obsession it just looks like a straight up interesting well-written good book so can you say the title again for me quicksand thank you 
just going to Google it, you know. I think, I think <laughs> I may have read one of his books earlier this year. Do you remember that one about the couple that was written in different diaries I was telling you about? Mm-hmm. And, like, the husband kept, like, putting the wife to sleep with, like, sleeping pills. And then he would, like, look at her without her clothes on. But she would she would secretly not take the sleeping pills and she was awake the whole time. Mm-hmm. But it was written. That's like, weird. But it was written like 1933, and it was about like Japan before like the Cultural Revolution there and stuff like that. So it had a bunch of things I just didn't understand because I didn't grow up in you know 1940s Japan. I think that's. I think that might be the same person. I'm not positive. The next one I got was I got the complete novels of Mark Twain. The two part book, I guess. It's in two hardbacks. It's from like the 70s, so it's got like a great, weird, sketchy 70s uh, drawing. Watercolory. Yep, Mark Twain and all of his characters. And I've never read any Mark Twain, and Leah thought that was a travesty, so now I'm going to read them all. There we go. You're set. He seems like the kind of person that would really enjoy that like long, candid autobiography of Mark Twain that's out there, or at least that part one is out there. I've always wanted to read that. Yeah, that's my big holdup, too. And so, does it make sense? Because that was also there at the at the used bookstore that I could get the, either the autobiography or this two set but i kept being reminded that he didn't ever read mark twain so why read about mark twain if you'd never yeah i've been, put I've out been there? wanting to do it eventually i mean i know i like humor books a lot so then the next thing i got was swamplandia by karen russell we talked about that a few weeks ago mm-hmm. i don't know anything really about it going into it other than what's on the back of the book but i'm kind of excited it's got a cool alligator on the cover and it's a pulitzer prize finalist so it's a real trippy book. It's a, I would say it's an American magical realism, which there's not a lot of. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's cool. That's a fun one that I like. That should be, like, that's a good match for Leah's uh, kind of, like, interests with that stuff. That's he did such a good job with this, given that, you know, we, I don't read as much as I used to, so it's kind of hard to tell what I would be into. Mm. I think you absolutely hit it out of the park. And then Leah got me a copy of Crazy Rich Asians. Hell yeah. I'm blowing through. Have you read that one yet, Jen? I have not, but it's up there on my list. We both absolutely loved the movie. Loved the movie. The book is good. I think it's as good as the movie. I haven't seen the movie yet. It's worth seeing. It's so much fun. I want to see it, but I want to read it first. Yeah. I don't know if it makes a big difference. I think they're, they're pretty much the same, but... The book gives you a bit more insight, obviously. It's not a... It's a book that's written to be read on the beach. Like, it's not really trying to do anything stylistically that's you have to pay too much attention to or that is too um, challenging. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but it, it really is a story delivery service. So it's kind of similar to the movie. I don't think you... It's disservicing the book if you watch the movie first or anything like that. Oh, yeah. Um I just didn't want it to sway how I perceived the book, but I'm down to like the only just watch the movie. Now. The only thing that sways me is I'm able to imagine what the people look like. So if you don't want to do that, I think that's the only big difference. Is but at the same time, like I'm imagining now Constance Wu and Michelle Yao and uh, Aquafina. Like there's worse people to be imagining. So then I think it's a good segue to go into um, the books we got from our gens because they were absolutely bananas. So they got us a lot of like really pulpy sort of weird things. There's one, I have one called High Saddle, which is a two-fisted loner who cared for no man, no woman, just revenge. I have a book (laughs) from the Saga of Thorgrim, the Sword of the, sorry. I don't know why I said that. I said sword wrong. The Saga of Thorgrim, 
the Sword of the Nerglingas. <laughs> All right. We wish you a merry murder, which I am not going to read until after we, read that one. when we do our, our writing thing, because it's a Christmas mystery. Oh, yeah. Okay. Two stories from the uh, Adventures of Doc Savage. One is They Died Twice, and the second one is The Screaming Man. And then there were some <laughs> other fun ones. There was uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark 3. 3. And... Uh, the Complete Cheese Cookbook by Kraft. And then just what? two yeah. weird self-published pamphlets. One of some guy's really strange poetry. It's very genuine. Though. It's That's... very genuine. I'm not sure how I feel about it. I think I don't like it. But I think a lot of that is because if I were to write poetry, it would be of this caliber. Yeah, that's how I feel. (laughs) And it's me mostly just trying to be mean to myself rather than critical of anything I'm reading. Well, it's not good, but it's so sincere that I'm like, I just feel bad not liking this, but sorry, guy. (laughs) And then the other is called Comets and the Rise of Modern Science, and it is a pamphlet from BYU. You know, though, that one, I, I recognize, I don't know it, but... Before we had like JSTOR and shit like that, that's how mm-hmm. how critical essays would be printed. So I have one that's about like it's from like eighty three and it's like the the job of place and the works of uh, Steinbeck and it's like uh. a little pamphlet like that like it's like twelve pages you know because that's the only way that you were able to publish them before. Oh, so then the last thing the gens got me, which is kind of interesting because it ties into my last book from Jesse is they got me a copy of Slouching Towards Bethlehem by Joan Didion, and Jesse got me The Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Didion. So I think everyone's trying to tell me it's time to read some Joan Didion. I think Slouching Towards Bethlehem is really good, and I think as a person that grew up in Los Angeles and then Palm Springs, I think that's a book that she mainly talks about those two places. There's mm-hmm. the one, Slouching Towards Bethlehem is about Haight-Ashbury in the 60s, but everything else is pretty much just urban sprawl in the Los Angeles area. No, I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Well, then the last two I got, the last one I got was, I got a cookbook from Ina Gardner. The, uh, Ina Garten. Ina Garten, the Barefoot Contessa, who is my favorite. I think it's her first one, so it's full of really like simple recipes, like fresh summer salad, but like not in like a way that's like, it's simple and stupid, but it's like, it's the basis, you know, how to, how to roast a chicken, you know, that sort of stuff. And that's kind of where I am in my cooking adventure. And we both, when we moved into, when we moved in with each other, Jesse was living in one bedroom in Los Angeles and really couldn't spend a lot of time cooking, even though it was something he liked to do. And I just am Mm -hmm. afraid of cooking. (laughs) So it became a real challenge for us to not, eat freezer meals and not just mm. make pizza. And we do cook quite a bit actually. And with you being out of work, you've done quite a bit of the cooking mm-hmm. like to the point where when we made brisket um, last week for our Hanukkah dinner with the gens, even though I printed a recipe and you know, I'm like, here's this, you know, you can just make it. He had to make sure he consulted with Ina mm-hmm. even before he got the book. He <laughs> made sure to look up a YouTube video of her making brisket yeah, there's a specific episode of her show where she made brisket. Mm-hmm. It was very good. And he stole a bunch of tricks from that, and it turned out great. Well, and, and cooking has always been my go-to writing metaphor. And so I think in a little bit now I'm doing, like, kind of putting my money where my mouth is. Or I used to always say before, like, oh, yeah, with, like, writing, be it an essay or whatever, I like to just, like, go to a bunch of sources and just do whatever I want to do, like I do with cooking. I'll look at a bunch of recipes, then do whatever I want to do. 
but I never really cooked when I said that. So I was kind of lying, but it was like a nice metaphor and people responded well to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now I feel a little bit uh, justified. Before like I'm you're telling the truth finally. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, I, I feel like I'm a, a, cook, a person that uh, figures out how to cook pretty easily. You know, not a lot of things are easy for me, so. No, it is something that you do really well at. And I don't do well at a lot of other things, so it's, you know, taking my, my uh, victories when I get them. And I think more <laughs> than consulting a bunch of recipes and doing your own thing, his method is to throw everything in the fridge into a stir fry or into a large pot and see what comes out. That's true. And it hasn't failed yet. The only other thing that we got, or I don't know if it's the only other thing, but the other thing that I got was the Diaries of Aleister Crowley. Remember he created the Church of Satan? He didn't create the Church of Satan. What's he his w- thing? Just, uh, He's just a Hollywood weirdo, right? Not quite Hollywood, but yeah, just a straight up the king of a cult, basically. But very similar to that book I was writing within the book for Nano. It is about a lot of like kind of half-baked metaphysics. And there's a lot of Satan math in it. Like a lot of like this word times this book equals 666, which equals this, you know, like a lot of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Had it plus matter produce change energy equals six equals uh, two or four animals equals question mark butterfly. What? (laughs) Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's Christmas math, Satan math. Satan math. So yeah, that was our Hanukkah. Yeah. And yeah, I was going to ask Jen though, to have her be a sort of a part of this. Jennifer, how do you how do you usually approach giving or getting gifts during the holidays? Because I know it's kind of hard sometimes to find the right book. But also what I've thought about a lot this time is like a lot of people don't care about getting books. So are you going to be that like nerd that gives your like relative a book? Like not everyone responds to it the same way that I've responded to it. So that's what I've been thinking about lately. Yeah, not everyone's not everyone's excited. Like they're finally getting to do something they wanted to do or whatever. Um, I gave a book like I went through some of my old books and was sorting through them and gave one of my old books to one of my coworkers and that's like low commitment because yeah. it's just like one of my older books so it's not like I spent a bunch of money on like a brand new book that's just gonna collect dust in someone's apartment I was gonna say as I've gotten older like when I was younger when I was 13 and we were just starting to build Amazon wish lists it's great I had every single book that I could ever have wanted to read on there copies of things I already read like it was meticulous and I kept it updated constantly and I think I'm at a point in my life where I would rather have someone not look at my list and not buy me the book that I want to because I can go buy myself a copy of the newest Lestat book or whatever is happening in my life and I want a book from someone that says hey I think you'd like this I thought about you enough to pick something that may be completely wrong so they're putting themselves out there yeah but I think that you'll like it. Yeah, there's something about getting a book too, even if it's not something I would like, that I'm going to read it instantly, even if I don't like it. So maybe there's something to, to be said about that. Because I'll I'll read all of these books you got me this Hanukkah before I read one that I bought myself. And all the ones that you bought me too. Yeah, I'll read all the ones I got you. <laughs> I've read half of them, apparently. I didn't realize that until you started listing them off. So yeah, that's what I was thinking too, though, while buying stuff was like, there's also a little bit of just like leaning into it. Like, do I want to be the uncle that you're going to get a book from every year? Yeah, why not? Why not be that uncle? That's true. What else are you going to do? But I mean, I'll be honest though. If I had like, well, I do have nephew, a nephew, like with my nephew and niece, if I get them books, I'm also going to get them other things. That's what I was thinking. I don't, I don't want to like pretend like my hobbies are the only like hobbies that matter. That's right. my, that's my, my 
my snag too. And I don't want them to just be polite and then essentially just throw it away, but have it live on their bookshelf forever until they get rid of it. You know, not because I feel like, oh, they need to value the gift. But if I get somebody something and they never look at it again, then I gave them a bad gift. Yeah, you, I give them the wrong thing. That's on me. That's not on them. No. And it, yeah. it's not like okay. a, a big appliance that they can go with a gift, like a gift receipt and return. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily, books don't necessarily always work like that. I had a cousin when she was growing up, you couldn't buy her the wrong book that because mm-hmm. that was her hobby. That's kind of how I was. But her younger sister, it was the complete opposite. Not that she didn't like reading, but it wasn't. She didn't get that bug that that her older sister got. And so you really had to pick books for her a little more carefully. When I was younger, we had a my aunt's family used to not give us books. So I think they had occasionally, and I always read them because they were given to me. But they would give us a lot of patriotic audiobooks. <laughs> Yeah, like one that I remembered listening to a lot because I liked the TV show Spin City was it was Barry Bostwick reading just like historic American texts. Mm. (laughs) He doesn't really have all that good of a Mm. voice, even though he's played FDR a million times. But I remember listening to those over and over and then like being a point of complaint of like, we always get audio books. And I'm like, yeah, that's lame. But then like, I also listen to every one. So maybe it wasn't lame. It was just unusual. Well, it could be, yeah, just that it's like a little like uncommon. So that's in and of itself unique. You probably would never have listened to those no. without that like idea. But I mean, there's also such a thing as like a bad book gift that's like um, aggressive. Like I know that my uh, family, my mom would receive and continues to receive um, like videotapes and books about why Jesus is real, yeah. um, which is like great like that's cool like uh like you believe in jesus and stuff but it's like well established that my mom does not and so her mother giving her those gifts can be a little bit domineering and um basically like i don't care what you actually want i just want you to be who i want you to be yeah which is like so there's that too i've had multiple friends that have said that their mom bought them i can't remember the name of it ever there's this relationship book that's called why men love bitches and I guess the thesis is like, oh, men like it when you're a little bit, if you're, no, if you're bitchy when you're just being yourself, then you're really not bitchy and men respond well to you being yourself, even if it seems a little bad. Like it's got like a good thesis, but the title is just like, um, why are you a bitch? And like people's moms give it to them a lot. And oh, that's so I always awful. think that's funny. Yeah. I was about to say, what the hell? That's a terrible book title, but. I actually like that because it flips it on you. Like you might buy that book with like the, with I guess sort of like sexist kind of expectation to be like sort of satisfied when this book tears apart those awful, like mean bitchy sluts or whatever. But in the end it turns it around and like, actually like people who are honest about themselves, even if they are perceived as bitches are more fun to be around. Yeah. Yeah. I've never heard of that book. actually. (laughs) I saw it the other uh, day. Pretty rad. I've probably seen it like 9,000 times, but you know, I don't know why it has that name. It's a terrible title. Yeah, okay, so let's see the... Even the subtitle's bad. It's (laughs) Why Men Marry Bitches, A Woman's Guide to Winning Her Man's Heart. So even that title is bad. Yeah, and saying A Woman's Guide to Winning a Man's Heart is a bit weird. Well, then this one's even weirder. So it's the same author. Why Men Love Bitches from Dormant to Dream Girl. Oh, and this is also by the same author. The Power of the Pussy. 
Get what you want from men, love and respect. So maybe I've been wrong too. Maybe I need to look more into what this book actually is. Ugh, ugh. It, I, it could genuinely be really alarming titles it could be because a, yeah. those will grab your attention yeah. and the content flips it on you. But if not, oh boy, are those titles alarming. Let's uh, I'm never definitely gonna... give those a thorough it investigation well, i'm never gonna read it to figure it out well <laughs> you're not <laughs> you're not gonna do research i'm gonna us? write the opposite nope don't ever yeah please don't <laughs> the power of the pp we're not doing Gross. that <laughs> it'll be the I'm next burning, thing after I'm the christmas eggs. thing nope nope they're willing to self-help books like no nope. you know <laughs> so i have to pee leah do you want to read the piece you worked on while i do that really fast no because i hate you pee too oh can we well, take like a- i also actually i had a book swap for my writing clubs that I could talk about if we still if, if we're not yeah let's take a time. fake break and we'll be right back hey guys so while we're on a bathroom break let me remind you a few quick things so firstly be sure to listen to us follow us and rate and review us on Google Spotify Stitcher and iTunes uh, if you have any questions about anything that we've talked about on the website or I mean on the podcast Go check out our blog right now at writesweatspod.home.blog. There you'll find annotations. You're going to find the updates of the current Christmas story we're writing and also other fun stuff. Also, if you're on Facebook, follow us on Facebook at the Writesweats Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash writesweats. Be sure to follow us there and rate us there at all as well. Uh, We'll have other fun stuff there or, you know, join the conversation and share other fun stuff with us too. So with that, I think we'll go back to the show. Bye guys. Um, so kind of like your guys's Hanukkah swap, I did a holiday book swap for my NaNoWriMo group. We just, uh, to, as like the thank goodness it's over party, we got together and we did mystery book swap, like white elephant style. Ooh. So there were some really interesting books that came out of that. Um, I gave away Dangerous Women, which was a collection of uh, stories um, that were like, about you guessed it dangerous women wow <laughs> yeah i know that one i think yeah there's they printed george R. R. martin like really big on the front and so it i think it sold a lot because of that he's the most dangerous woman <laughs> i can't actually remember if he did the forward or if he actually contributed to the short story collection i literally don't remember but anyway yeah. i feel like every short story collection he's been even remotely part of in the last 20 years now has his, a reprint with his name like extra extra big anything oh yeah no it was like yeah. half it was half the cover was just his name i was like okay we're talking about dangerous women and we have this dude's name super big granted he writes women fantastically but are fantastic Ish. well whatever he writes them well i also i actually gave away a bunch of books because that was the ml right so i gave away the iron trial i had a signed copy that's a uh, was it truly signed? Yeah, it was signed. <laughs> that was one thing we didn't mention is I am a big fan of fake signing books. So most of our Hanukkah books have either an inscription from the other person or a fake inscription from the author. Or in some cases, an inscription from characters inside the book. Oh, I like that. The character signing. You could get in trouble for fake signing the author's name. But no, we're not sign the selling it or anything. Like that. Yeah, I see. You're just doing it for funsies. Yeah. Well, for the, like the Ina Garten cookbook, I signed it from jeffrey but the the message was yum yum yummy in my tum tum tummy so anybody <laughs> that thinks that's real really needs to get their 
their heads screwed oh, back yeah. on. <laughs> you signed one for me from Aquafina. I signed one for you from Satan. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, I actually ended up at the book swap with the book "Why Ireland Never Invaded America: An Insightful, Unique Look at Corporate Strategy." Ooh. Oh, is I was not the, sure where that was going until you said that. Is that from the Why Men Love Bitches series too? <laughs> this is from the We Love Consumerism series. Um, actually, I'm just kidding. I don't know that. Oh, was but it like a straight up like economy book? I have no idea. I didn't even remotely look at it. It was a <laughs> just. It said corporate strategy in red, and I was like, mm, I mean, it's a white elephant. That's the point, right? Yeah, it was the most bizarre book there too. It was really unique. I actually thought it was cool that someone brought something that I mean I don't think any of us would have ever seen in our lives yeah but I uh I actually ended up swapping that and getting a different book and I am super freaking happy with the one I ended up with because at the night of writing dangerously so do you guys remember the lobster author girl that I told you guys about yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so she was at the night of writing dangerously and she recommended me this book called mm-hmm. the fifth season written by NK Jemison right um and I had never heard of it but i googled it and it sounded super amazing it's like a fantasy book that won a hugo award and it sounded like right up my alley had a bunch of Mm. like recommendations from like npr all these places so when i saw it at the book swap (laughs) i was like yep stealing that one and uh i have it i was super stoked but i just want to like read this part because this is when i read this it made me realize i definitely 100 are you judging the book by its cover it, well, the cover is actually not even that oh, good. Okay. Like, I would have overlooked this book, to be honest. It's who the book is dedicated to. I love this. Dedi- it's uh, dedicated to, or well, rather, it's for all those who have to fight for the respect that everyone else is given without question. Oh, I like oh, that. I that. Got a little chills. It's so cool. <laughs> it's just like a fantasy book, and she's like, I'm giving this to people who don't get the respect, you know, like others have for free and it's like yes i love that so fucking cool it makes me is it like a sci-fi it's fantasy and i just think with that kind of um, dedication that there's probably going to be really good exploration of um power and respect and um privilege and things like that in this yeah it reminds me of parable of the sower or something like that what's that one you read that one? Mm-mm. Yeah, it's cool. Octavia Butler, I want to say, wrote it. It's a sci-fi book. She was one of the first, in not first, but one of the only African American female sci-fi writers for a long time. Like mm-hmm. she, she would like famously like call out panels where she was the only person of color on them, and a lot of times they were at like diversity and sci-fi conferences, you know. Mm-hmm. And she died. And she would be the only person of color at those events? Typically, yeah. Whoa. And she died Bizarre. probably 10 years ago or so, or 15 years ago. And she wrote three books, Parable of the Sower, Parable of the Something Else, and then Parable of whatever the third one was. And they were... She's super famous, yeah. Yeah, they were post-apocalyptic books. Uh, we read, I read the Parable of the Sower a lot at school because, in college, because it was the book of the year, and it, it starts in L.A., and then it the person, the, the protagonist walks to, walks to Humboldt. Oh. And there's a lot of things where like, obviously Octavia Butler went through every spot along the way and knew what she was looking at. That's cool. A lot of great sense of place stuff, but then a lot of it is also like a lot of race, a lot of gender, a lot of all those sort of dynamics told through a post-apocalyptic sci-fi. And she's written actually uh, just an absolute massive amount of books. And yeah. um, I, I've definitely uh, been obsessed with her for a long time. Yeah. Actually, speaking of, I guess I should mention that N.K. Jemison is a, a writer of color. I think she's black from Brooklyn. Oh, wow. So if anyone's looking to try and, you know, diversify their 
exposure to different authors, good option. Especially in sci-fi and fantasy, because I think as much as you don't want to hear about there being one Black woman on a diversity and science fiction panel, for a long time, the most diversity that there was in those genres was, oh, there's a woman here, uh-huh. not even a person of color. We yeah. weren't even to that point yet. There's still a long way to go. Mm-hmm. So then to switch into, obviously, a very uh, white, upper middle class indulgence of ours, holiday writing. so jen you didn't write anything this week which you weren't supposed to do so it's no big deal but what are your feelings on uh the holiday book now that's sort of been able to sit with you for about a week just the idea the idea not what i saw of leia's writing oh if you looked at it then yeah crazy well just as an idea i'm really freaking excited and i was bragging about it uh writing something so ridiculous to my little club of people Uh i had a lot of fun talking about it Leah, how'd you feel writing i obviously didn't get as far as i wanted to and i'm still trying to like restart that that writing space that i was in from nano and it took me a while to feel like i was getting going but in Mm. the past couple of days even i feel like i've gotten a lot of stuff out i think i had to let go of this kind of in the same way we were talking about with nano i had to let go this needs to be really good Uh not quite to the zero draft level of like just write and don't edit anything. I could tweak things as I went along, but I had to keep reminding myself that this is supposed to be fun and funny and a little bit nonsensical. So just enjoy it while you're doing it. If it sounds, if it sounds fun to you, it's probably fun to read. Well, even more than nano, there is less than no stakes. Yeah. Like there was no stakes with nano. There's especially no stakes now. Yeah, there's somehow negative stakes in this one. And I find that I'm really enjoying, almost to a fault, I'm really enjoying world building. I think it's what I've liked doing as a dungeon master. I think it's why I jumped on the idea of kind of writing the beginning of this little project that we're doing. Um, Even I, though, as um, just relatively, it's it's not really a fantastical world at all? No. <laughs> You still enjoy that world building. Yeah. yeah. There's a, the very first note in the beginning of our document that we're working on is a house on Zillow in Kansas city that I found that I thought would be absolutely perfect for our protagonist. Yeah. Oh, wow. So you really are all about that world building. I love it. Yeah. That's so fantastic. And even just like, okay, well we have to pick the right city to set this in. And what does that say about our character? And mm-hmm. what does that say about the story we're trying to tell? You know, that sort of stuff ha- is a really fun puzzle to me, even before yeah, you get to fun. the character and the story and what's happening. Like I love a rich world. That's why I was a little bit relieved when we decided to not decided to when we, when we were mashed uh, without a like fake kingdom or anything silly like that, uh-huh. you know, I don't have to create a kingdom. I just have to find the right spot. Yeah. So we, I picked Kansas city cause I think that Kansas city is kind of a big city, but it's not New York or LA. So you don't have to worry about the baggage that comes with New York or LA it is a fairly like up and coming kind of techie city. So uh, having a big tech guy who's in some sort of business isn't completely out of place there. Yeah. Um, but I also like that it has that if you're going to try to pull this character away from business and away from city life, it is a Midwest town. You know, there is still that kind of traditional emphasis on family that'll be all around our character for better or for worse. That's really good. You did some good research. That's actually really close. <laughs> Probably a little bit distracting once I got onto Zillow, but... I think it helps for, 
for us especially because I think with a character like that, all I'm imagining when I'm writing it is that they're in Manhattan. And I, my conception of Manhattan, and I assume both of ours, or all of ours, is what we see in TV and movies. Right. Oh, yeah. Just that, like, completely, you know, Hollywood-ified version of New York. Everything is yeah. made of glass. And I realize we're writing the mm-hmm. pastiche of that sort of stuff, but there is a little bit of when you are satirizing somebody, think something, you need to know how it works. Right. So us writing a piece about Manhattan is a little, we don't know quite how that works. So I think the Kansas City thing is nice in between. I don't know much about Kansas City, but it seems like it's like Atlanta where there's not less many stakes. And I'm also much more interested in researching Kansas City to be prepared to write um, references to it because I've never, ever read anything about it. So it's going to be fun to learn something new. It's a little more exciting than New York City that, you know, everyone has seen in a million books. Well, and my gut instinct at first was, okay, well, if we're going to try to set our character in tech, maybe we should do Silicon Valley, which just seemed a little too close. A little on the nose for us. Yeah, a little too on the nose. Or Seattle, which was even more on the nose for, for Well, and actually, I am, I got to tell you guys, I don't know how many people I have met through writing groups and things who are setting their fantasy books or even their real life stories that are not fantasy in Seattle. Like, it's a very common setting for stories for some reason. And they would always be really excited that I was from there because they could get advice from me on, you know, what it's like to live there. You know, their concept of it raining constantly, being incorrect, stuff like that. (laughs) But it's just like, I am... I'm sick of it. I, I don't want to read a book in Seattle, even though I've written my books in Seattle. Anyway, so I'm glad we didn't well, go that route. I, I want to pivot for a moment into that for a second, Jennifer, and ask you about mm-hmm. location, uh, famous locations in the area. Have you been to Forks? I have been to Forks, yes. Okay. Is it as sad as I've been told it is? It was actually so depressing that i had a hard it took me hours to stop feeling so depressed that's what i've heard well the movie the movie uses it was hard actual forks right no it doesn't it 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 films in oregon and in canada as well but mostly oregon for the famous like like her house that you see a lot that's in oregon charlie's big old um, thing. Yeah, so they don't they don't film nearly anything in Forks. So when you're actually in Forks, you know, they're people only visit there if they grew up there or if they're there for the camping in the forest, which is cool. The forests are beautiful and worth going to. Or they're there because they watched a movie about a sparkly vampire and they really hold on to that. And it's just it's sad. Um, it's really sad. Like I went to like a restaurant and absolutely every single thing on the menu was Twilight themed. But now now you're selling me on it, Jed. Oh gosh. Yeah. And you see like Twilight one. It's like the, it's like one of like three restaurants that you see on the main strip. Um, Main strip's the only strip that I even saw. I didn't see any of the roads, honestly. And then, uh, I don't know. It was just alarming. It was alarming. Um, And there was Twilight stuff in every single store. And um, there weren't that many. Everything was kind of like there. There weren't a lot of things going on. To be fair, in 2010, when I visited Seattle, there was also Twilight stuff in every single store. It was a lot of Twilight and a lot of Three Wolf Moon shirts at the time. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean. That's 2010 nutshell, but. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty rad for 2010. Now I really want to go to Forks, <laughs> but. Um, I actually, I, I'm making it sound so awful. I think that if you go there just to enjoy the Olympic Forest that is out there, absolutely oh, stunning. Insane. The people who live out there, get who get to live in this national forest are extremely lucky. It's yeah. absolutely beautiful. 
Well, um, uh, not not by Forks, but up in Astoria. Anytime you look up in Washington, anything that's in Astoria, go like, what's there, tourist-wise? They always go, you can go to the house from the Goonies. But also, like, <laughs> the city itself is beautiful. Like, <laughs> it's great. It's got a great, like, uh, waterfront walk. So it's like, if you're going for the Goonies, you might be a little disappointed. But if you're going to just go there, like, if you're going for Twilight, you might be a little disappointed about Forks. But if you're driving through and you're going to Forks, it might be fun, you know? Yeah, I think I think just, like, seeing that it's there, I mean... We talk about the 45-minute museum when we go places. Forks can probably be lumped into the 45-minute museum. Isn't that the issue, though? It's hard to get to. Yeah. So it takes, like, the whole day. It is extremely out of the way. Because it, like I said, it's, like, in the Olympic um, National Forest or, like, out in that, like, Olympic Peninsula. You take a ferry, right? Um, Yeah, you have to get to – I had to take a ferry to get over to the general area. Yeah, I did. You can get there without a ferry, but it's um, easier with the ferry. So you prefer going to – Twin Peaks than you do Forks? Yeah, Twin Peaks. You mean North Bend? North Bend, yeah, yeah. is really cute. Because you can drive there. That's pretty quick, right? It's very quick. It's like an hour. Yeah. It's really cute. And um, actually, if you do go to Forks, you guys, definitely go to La Push. Oh, yeah. That's a, real, that's a real um, beach, I guess. Yeah. It's really, really, really beautiful. It's a real Indian tribe. It's a real, you know, it's a real historical area. Yeah. So, Leah. So, <laughs> on our list of places to visit now... Forks, Astoria, yeah, Kansas City, La Push, La Push, Kansas City, yeah, Kansas City. First, Kansas City. We gotta get, we gotta do some hard research on this, you guys. We cannot go in. We gotta be like, we know everything about Kansas City, but our characters are like two dimensional. That's what I want. Right, sweats <laughs> World Tour twenty twenty. <laughs> I want to become iconic to Kansas City. I want our stuff in every store in Kansas City. Yeah. yeah. So, Leah, tell us a little bit about what's going to be in every Kansas City store. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be barbecue. There's going to be uh, Chief's memorabilia. Where's Louisville compared to... It's in Kentucky. You're right. It's a different state. Now, <laughs> did you know that Kansas City is not in Kansas? That's not true. There is well, it can be in Kansas. Well, there is a Kansas in Kansas. But we're talking Kansas City... Missouri. Ooh, so we're doing that half of it. Okay. Kansas City, Kansas is very small. Kansas City, Missouri yeah, is what people... Yeah, it's not as exciting and it's not as famous. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Missouri one. I the, like... was not aware there was two of them until right now, so thank you. You learn something new every day. Yeah. I only know that because Kansas City, Missouri is actually really famous for um, like art and like tattoo artists. Yeah. Yep. Random stuff like it that. It seems so. like it's like a... Athens, Georgia, or Austin, where it's a little bit of, like, the, the eye of the storm, so to speak. Yeah, it's just, like, the artsy part of an area that isn't really otherwise known for its art. So, maybe rather than reading, for at least for the moment, as the person that's done a lot of this research and world building, in order to pass part of this along to you guys to write more of, what is it that you need from your world before you can start writing in it? I need to know nothing, but that's only because... I, I, I know what genre we're working in mm-hmm. and I know that it's supposed to be like snowy in winter. So past that, the little bit of geographical stuff I can look up myself. So neat things about Kansas city. It's not necessarily guaranteed that it's going to snow during the winter. Oh. So when I started it, I started in the slushy, awful rain because when you start to bring in the magic of Christmas, then it should start snowing. Oh, well, spoiler alert. I wrote, a couple paragraphs because I was bored and it's snowing in that one. But that's a little bit later in the story, so. That's okay. 
That'd be fine. Yeah, we can. Yeah, we can. We can use snow as because um, it's pretty common to use snow as some sort of like beautiful Christmas or like I guess Yule symbolism. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we can just use that as a tool. So good classic cliche. I don't know what else about the world that I need to know. What is Kansas City is probably pretty pretty short, so to speak. Not a lot of high rises. Some in like a financial district, but not a lot everywhere. Right. It's a fairly flat area. Uh, one thing I know for sure is that the skyline is absolutely stunning. Like you get really amazing sunsets. I, I know just that know this too. Because yeah. it's along the river yeah. and it is fairly flat. Yeah. So um, we could utilize sunsets to kind of like set the scene. Mm. And with it being kind of that sort of odd bustling city center in a midwestern state you do get a lot of that like quirky art street art um and since it's a little bit newer there's a lot of new kind of cutesy neighborhoods and interesting things live work spaces it's very much not a millennial dream but they're trying to turn it into sort of that ideal yeah it's like tulsa or uh Whoever else is like that right now. So yeah. A lot of cities like that. So um, you can have a cute little townhouse and uh, be able to walk to your coffee shop, but still be in a big city and work at your tech startup. Like Worcester, Massachusetts. And then also still be near like cornfields and stuff. Yeah. That's what they grow out there, right? Probably. I assume, I yeah. should I should, we should probably <laughs> we'll look what this up. <laughs> I thought it was in Kansas until five minutes ago. Not in Kansas anymore. I think oh. in the, the, the city, I need to know about the the... The characters. So we, wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry, but after Leah said that, I'm sorry. We just, it is an absolute necessity that we include the line, we're not in Kansas City anymore. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. Well, that's what I was thinking, too. Okay. Do you know of any notable residents? I don't off the top of my head. Because I feel like if there was, like, for some reason in, like, act, the, like, final act, there was, like, a, a competition somebody's in or somebody has to, like, crash a TV studio and they're being, like, a real, like, lame D-level Kansas City celebrity. You know, like, some guy that was on, like, a football team that has, like, one line and can't do it. Oh, like that sort of thing. Perhaps better than that. There is a large like complex area that is seems to be fairly new in Kansas City that is owned by and I guess kind of themed after Hallmark. There's a major I didn't know this before I picked it, but there is like a major Hallmark Center in Kansas City. So for theme Hallmark, like the actual like, like the stores and the channel and the greeting cards. Yes. Okay. Oh, that's a kind of a sore spot for Jen. <laughs> that's true. I was fired from a Hallmark. Oh, no. So we all clear on that. What happened there? Um, I didn't deserve it. I probably did. Burt Bacharach is from Kansas City. I never kind of thought he was American, but that makes a lot of sense. Why? Because he was in Austin Powers? No, it's because his music is... I don't know. Thomas Hart's Benton. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> we can look this up later. Yeah. Let me do it while you're talking. Yet. Yeah. And I already found who is going to be the person that shows up. Is it going to be Don Cheadle? It's going to be Sylvia Brown. Oh, that's excellent. The psychic. You remember her? Um. So if you want to know. Kind of- she died five years ago. Don't R- go down this hole. R.I.P. Sylvia. <laughs> um. <laughs> If you want to know stuff about the characters, at least kind of what I what we've fleshed out in the little bits that we've been able to to plink away at right now. If we're going to deal with, I think we decided, and I don't remember if we decided this on the podcast or if we decided close Wikipedia. I'm sorry, <laughs> he's doing nothing but distracting me. Um, I think we decided that 
instead of coming up with someone who looks like our protagonist, our protagonist is going to have kind of an estranged twin brother. Oh, yes, yes. And I, I don't, noticed that, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember if we decided that last week on the podcast or if I decided that sometime in the middle of the week. So our protagonist is named Blake and his brother is William, kind of leading in, leaning in a little bit to this kind of gothy, dark, you know, moody type. So we have, you know, a William Blake illusion. And at least kind of the way we're building it out now, Blake is very much like your Bruce Wayne tech guy, loner, um, little bit of a playboy maybe. And William is a little more of a like truly the like outdoorsy one, the the person that kind of inspired the whole thing. A little more artistic, a little more living life mm-hmm. simply and enjoying the the world for what it is. We basically gave him Jesse's dog from back home because she's the That's sweetest right. little lemon of a dog, but she's got a good heart and loves nothing more than her people. Mm-hmm. We figured that might be a little strange for our protagonist to deal with. And that's as far as that's I've good. gotten really flushing it out, yeah. but more kind of comes as I write it, yeah. as I kind of relax into it. Mm-hmm. What other kind of stuff do you guys like to build out before you start writing? I usually start with a character and actually not just a character. I start with a scene in my head, like people talking. That for me is like the catalyst for pretty much any story I've ever written is just imagining two people talking to each other and what comes out of that. Mm -hmm. And that was actually without knowing that that's sort of where I started is like, how do you establish this character without as like a grumpy person without being like, he was grumpy and didn't like Christmas. Yeah. Which is where the the <laughs> scene in it where he's in the the right getting the ride share and this really excited woman is talking to him about Christmas and what are you doing? And he's just like shutting it down the whole way, like, I don't want to deal with you or this or this line of questioning. Uh-huh. <laughs> I believe what I wrote vaguely, he has a driver, so we're gonna have to change that. He can take his driver can be talkative too. But his driver would know about his a little bit about his family. Not in these movies. I guess. No, I know what you mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One sentence we had to put in there to deal with it. Yeah. Maybe his driver um, has a day off. What have we established? What have we established for the partner or <laughs> the um, whatever? Oh, have you written Gun to the Meat Cute yet? Lee? No, not yet. So now I have. So I think, right, they're twins, you said? Yes. So I was just bored one day and I started writing a little bit about the twin. So not the Bruce Wayne, but the more earthy one. And he's about to have his meet cute right now with a person who works for his brother. So I don't think it's exactly the assistant thing quite yet, but it's sort of the same. So they're all still in the same empire, so to speak. But what I wrote was like the brother, the Bruce Wayne brother has like a bunch of nice cars. So when they switch, the earthly brother wants to go drive all of his brother's cool cars. And then he meets a mechanic there. And the mechanic is the is the his love interest. But, you know, there's a complication because the, the mechanic thinks he's the big boss. That's super cute. Yeah, it seemed fun. Wait a minute. So are we following the earthy brother or are we following Bruce Wayne? It's both. So with these movies, oh, you- we're gonna do both. But yeah, mainly Bruce we're gonna Wayne. have a subplot and a main plot. Okay, yeah. we're gonna have so so subplot is for Earthy Brother. Like, did you watch the Princess Switch? Who I have, and also I just realized if we're gonna call one Bruce Wayne, we need to call the other um, Superman. I'm sorry, Clark Kent. Call him Clark Kent because he's that's like they're literally the two polar opposites and it's literally farm boy and city boy Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent. What I was oh, yeah. thinking about was like in um, the Princess Switch, there is the two stories. 
But there's definitely a primacy given to Chicago Vanessa Hudgens than there is to the princess. Yes. You're following Chicago Vanessa Hudgens for three-fourths of the movie, essentially. So yeah, he's in there, but it's not the it's not the primary thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, subplot. Yeah. Totally fine. That, that works. I was just trying to clarify where we were going. So well, one of the things I did, just to kind of help guide myself and allow myself to jump around if I needed to do something different, was I did kind of take apart the the trope we chose and kind of put it into different segments or different scenes. So the first scene was what I called the Grinch, which is kind of our introduction to our Bruce Wayne, where we set up what it is that we're following, why he's broken in some way, and what it is that we want to see different in him. The next would be the Cindy Lou Who, where we kind of deconstruct the the brother, the twin. It would be significantly shorter, but it would be a little bit more about like why he kind of has his life more together and why he's happier and all of those things. Um, then whatever the idea and the actual switch is, what mm-hmm. causes them to switch places. So then we would have fun shenanigans with the Clark Kent character getting to live a life of luxury, causing a stir in the pot a little bit, causing trouble because mm-hmm. he's more of a fun guy. Then go see what kind of shenanigans our, our Bruce Wayne gets into, kind of have him stumbling through a common life or a little more rugged life where he doesn't have his creature comforts, have a scene where someone is onto them, where someone is kind of starting to put together that this doesn't quite add up. Don't cross the streams, which would be some sort of scene where they almost run into each other. They're almost oh. exposed, but they kind of narrow. Oh, yep, yep, yep. Because it's always a, a very slapsticky, funny, nice set piece. Mm-hmm. Then whatever, when they start to have their realizations about the true meaning of Yule and family and all of those things, uh, a moment where everything is almost completely ruined. Mm-hmm. And then the apology tour where they you know, have to go around saying, I'm sorry that I tricked you into thinking I was the other one, but I still love you. And then everything ends nicely. Or we can just go see our Burgess with it, Burgess, whatever, and just have them not apologize at all <laughs> and still just end the story. Yeah, yeah. but either way, like, it's- I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm just hampering in like a, a, a rant. I'm sorry. Oh, no. It- we'll, we'll have apologies. You we'll don't do even have tour. to have apologies. It just has to end in some sort of like, nice way whether they well even yeah. half the time they still seem with a lot of these movies there isn't apologies anymore it just goes uh six months later and then there's an epilogue and everyone's happy and then we have the assumed apology off screen right because that's hard to write or even, <laughs> even even the apology is normally like oh my gosh i'm so sorry i fooled you but i've been in love with you this whole time and i want you to know like or it's an off-screen decision and then an on-screen grand romantic gesture that's stupid but for some reason seems to work and then right it doesn't have to be like a heartfelt well thought out apology it really is just let me show you how much i love you sometimes it's just rick grimes and love actually you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> that stupid thing that gets played forever i so. like it we should watch it I know we will. So yeah, did you want to read anything from this, Leah? Um, I've had a bigger piece to read, but I guess I will switch it up. I printed both. Jesse's big thing from last week was the smart canteen and how we needed to tie smart canteens into it. Yes. And I think when I sat down and actually finally wrote about the smart canteen, I think that was the piece that really unlocked in myself. Like, okay, this is something that needs to be fun for you. And very silly because that's the it, piece that um, that's the part that unlocked it for me when I when I read back to. 
So this I wrote kind of for Jesse, whether we used it or not, I didn't care, but I'm like, all right, if we get nothing else out of this, I'm getting you a description of what a smart canteen is. Uh So here is our smart canteen. The Aqua 4, spelled A-Q-U-I and the number 4, had been the largest launch in the outdoorsman category since the pop-up tent. This insulated canteen kept 64 ounces of water cool for up to 12 hours and came in both a hard shell model and a flexible bladder model. The canteen could detect contaminants within itself and had minor filtering abilities for the casual hiker or camper or even the lazy common person who would just usually not wash a bottle they only stored water in. Its smart features connected the owner's cell phone or smart device to collect information on location, weather, and heart rate to recommend how much water that person should be drinking for their environment. The company's holiday launch was to be a social component for users to share their water drinking data and to find other runners, hikers, or campers in their vicinity. The beta test in Los Angeles had been a huge success. (laughs) I like it. That sounds like fun. Exactly. And it didn't need to be anything more than like, this is what, or like, this is what he cares about. Well, now that it says that you reread that and it says share water drinking data to find other runners in their vicinity. That could also tie in later to whatever the grand dumb romantic gesture is or whatever. Oh, or maybe how they get caught. Like maybe they don't switch the water bottles and like whatever the rival from a different company looks at their runner thing. He's like, wait a minute. (laughs) They're both in the same spot. We could also, we could also have it like the brother doesn't respect Bruce Wayne's like business venture because it seems stupid to him. Yeah. But then that's how he is able to reconnect with his love interest oh, is yeah. through the smart canteen. Oh. So it teaches him the true meaning of his brother's like life, you know. Yeah. They gain respect for each other. Well, that was the thing you guys liked about the witch thing was this sort of like integration of, of fun, fake technology. So mm-hmm. how could we not go with that for this? No, I like that. Yeah. yeah. Also, I love it. Um, number one on my Christmas list, smart canteen. It has to exist, right? It's basically just a tracking thing, like a Fitbit. Right. Um, it's just like Strava. Like, that's a thing you can just, like, see where people walk. Yeah. You know. I think ultimately what this podcast now is leading up to is us going on Shark Tank. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. is like, I put that on there because that's a thing that exists. There are, like, apps to track the water you drink because... I am a, I'm constantly dehydrated. I don't drink nearly enough water and all my friends make fun of me for it. So I used to have the a plant app. So that there's your plant app, your running app, your, in a lot of ways, your dating app for, for people that like, you know, the same stuff you do. It's got a little bit of everything in there. Well, it's one of those, those sort of all-in-one inventions that weirdly written books are TV movies have too, or somebody's like, why hasn't this been invented yet? A watch with a TV and a microwave on it? You know, like, it's just one of those <laughs> things that just exists in, in text because it's nonsense, but right, you go, why not? Because we have no idea why not. It's the ultimate device that nobody wants, uh, nobody needs, but everyone kind of wants. Yeah. Yes, just like, that sounds great, but it's also just absolutely not worth putting invest like investors' money in. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. The, the amount of time it would take to to make and develop as insane for what it would actually sell for and make. So I wrote a little bit as well. You guys want me to read a second from it? Yeah. 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 Let's do it. So in my scene, I just picked up the, uh, the earthy twin. I really, I I, uh, scanned through Leah's to see what was going on and then kind of thought about something else. And 
So in this scene, it's established that the rich brother has a big car collection, but he never goes and visits his car collection. He just buys them just to buy them. And so... Which helps because, as we learned, in Kansas City, you do not... Like, if you want to live in the city and be kind of an urban dweller, you are not going to pay that much money for your house compared to if you wanted a giant mansion out in the country. That's true. So... He definitely has the flexible income to acquire cars. Well, then I always think about, like, there's always that story about how Jay Leno doesn't use his Tonight Show money on anything. He just saves it. But he also owns something like enough cars that if he drove one, different one every single day, never repeated, he would never drive the same car twice in, like, 70 years. So it's like, where does he have money from then? If he doesn't use his Tonight Show money to buy enough cars for, you know, an army. Um, so it just seems like one of those rich people things that they do where they can't stop doing it for whatever reason. It's like art collection, but it's of cars. Yeah, right. it's just compulsive, you know. One time my brother and I were looking in, because our newspaper would like once in a while come out with like a real estate thing that was like only the multi-million dollar crazy mansion houses. Yeah. And it was always fun to look for And there was one house that we saw that had, I think it was a 12 car garage, but it was like enough car, enough space for six cars. But then there was like an elevator lift for the next six. It's like that low. So I guess this is after they switch because this character is wearing his brother's suits and stuff. So he drives out to the car garage out in the, the country which has an attached racetrack, because obviously. Yeah, duh. And so he's already gone into the garage, he looked around, and he's met the lead mechanic, uh, Maxi Manio, um, and then he, he sees this car, and here's this scene, I guess. And I'm really thinking, like, visually. Like, I'm really thinking, like, like a Hallmark or a Lifetime or now a Netflix movie, uh, just kind of visually seeing this. So Maxi Manio, if you can imagine him, looks like just like Mario, because that's just what he would look like in this movie. You know? <laughs> Um, so William followed Maximanio to an even larger room of cars and there in the middle of everything, he saw it a Le Mans blue colored 1969 Yinco Camaro SYC in brand new pristine condition. Is that a real car? Yeah. Okay. Is that what I think it is? William finally managed to ask Maximanio. Oh yes, it is, sir. It's the very same from that movie. You're always talking about, you know, from the too fast, too furious. It says, (laughs) I don't think you understand, Max. This car is the same one driven by Paul Walker in probably the best movie ever made, Too Fast, Too Furious, William said. Me and my brother, you know, William, man, him and I used to be obsessed with this car. It was our dream car. Can I take it for a spin? What is your car, Padrone, Maximanio said, tossing the keys to William. Five minutes later, while William was suited up and steering the Camaro around the track's curves and blazing through the straightaways, He started asking himself, why is Blake such a dick? He seems to have everything he wants. The cars, the money, the power. If I was him, I wouldn't waste my life being angry. I'd try and have fun every moment that I could. Distracted, William took his eyes off the track for one second, drove headfirst into a massive roadside snowbank, bumped his head on the steering wheel, and lost consciousness. And then I have, in parentheses, enter dream sequence, because I'm not sure quite what that would look like yet. I think we need to know more about, like, what's going to go on in the plot. And then enter in a sort of harbinger dream sequence there. Yes, I love it, though, that you just have, like, the base for a dream sequence. Yeah, because then then what happens is he wakes up and he sees the, like, secondary mechanic below Maxi Mianio. 
is <laughs> is um i guess i can just read it uh are you all right the man asked william his hair was a radiant golden blonde and was slightly feathered from his face in a way that reminded william of sean cassidy where am i am i dead are you an angel william said haha no you're not dead i'm no angel i'm not an angel and it's far too snowy out here to be the summerland the man said smiling obviously charmed by william and his possibly concussed state but that'll be the the worker that William then falls in love with, who thinks that he's his brother. That's cute. And then the Summerland is the pagan version of heaven. So I thought it was funny because I looked it up because he's like, oh, this is heaven. I'm like, well, that's stupid because he's supposed to be whatever right. new pagan. And so I looked it up and then it said Summerland. And I'm like, perfect, because it's supposed to be snowy outside. Yep. I like it. So Also... I'm sorry, but you just said new pagan, and that made me envision this city dweller with, like, I know that's, like, the earthy one, but, like, imagine a city dweller with this, like, kind of goofy city person religion. Well, that's kind of what the the main brother is, sort of, like. So, yeah, that's what I mean. It's, like, I want the Bruce Wayne character to have a kind of, like, comical, not Scientology, literally, but just a comically commercialized version of paganism that's like sold to wealthy people as like a quirky thing. You know, like goop, yeah. like crystals. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like like when Faltra's goop, like that's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Well, and when you look into neo-paganism and stuff of that nature, there are people that do practice it in like covens or families or in groups. And there are people that really do practice it solo and there's really not a wrong way to do it which is kind of nice yeah but it all comes back to you know what are you getting from it and if he's like you said paying all this money for the crazy salt lamps or for the blessed smoothies or whatever it is that he's spending the money on but not getting any peace in his soul He's doing it wrong. Where his brother could be spending no money on it, but doing it genuinely. Yeah. And getting... And he's much more satisfied through it. Right. Yes, I love this. Okay, that's what I want to do, is I want him to have Instagram paganism, where it's like, oh, all yeah. for show. Oh, yeah. Well, and especially if he has kind of like a city townhouse, of course you're going to have like a moody, gothy bedroom, which serves, you know, you tell everybody is your spiritual sanctuary but you're you're using it as a sex pad yeah (laughs) you know it's 100 percent to show they'll very quickly become cronenberg's dead ringers if we don't watch out it's not a bad thing i was gonna say (laughs) your problem is that's the psychosexual body horror about twins (laughs) oh my god so i think for the next week I'm going to keep writing at least this beginning piece and Jesse's going to focus more on the middle piece and kind of see where we are. And then for the last week, we'll pass it to Jen, Mm. but it is a shared Google doc. So if there's any of it that you want to hop in and contribute to that, you're like, Oh my gosh, this is something that needs to happen. I think it makes sense to hop in and do that when you feel it. That way we can all help get to it and have it make sense, have the things that are important to us make, guide the story yeah and try not to worry too much about okay. continuity i'm because we can sort it out at the end i'm glad you said that though because as we started talking about this like instagram paganism i got real inspired so yes well and that can always just be <laughs> an aside that is just a 
flavor in there just to explain the world a little bit. It doesn't have to be strictly about the characters. No. Well, and I can just write some stuff and whether or not it makes the final draft, it doesn't really matter. I just want to explore that idea. It sounds fun. I sure have a hunch that will not cut anything out of the final draft, but who knows? <laughs> I have a feel. No, there will definitely be things that get... Just don't make sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or get moved around. Like it, it was yeah. fun to write in the beginning, but it makes more sense at the end. I'm super excited for this. I think it'll be fun. And like we said, there's negative stakes. So (laughs) if we don't do it, that means we're just going to have to vamp more on here about what books we bought that week. So yeah. (laughs) All right. So that'll do it for another episode of Write Sweats. Um, So be sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook. Recommend us to your friends, review us on iTunes, um, all that good stuff. And uh, until next time, always remember the miracle of Christmas has been inside you all along. (laughs) Wow. 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 Wow.